0: Hello there and welcome to this episode of Exploring Robert Schumann's Fantasy Stucker with me, Stuart King. So before I get started on looking at the piece itself in detail, um, I just want to give you a little bit of background on Schumann and the composition of the, this piece. So the Fantasy Stücke were written in 1849 and it took Schumann just two days to write and complete these three pieces, which is Quite extraordinary and this was a particularly happy time for Schumann. Um, Schumann is famous for having had lots of emotional ups and downs in his life and was a very sensitive soul. He tried to commit suicide um, in 1854 and ended up um, in a institution at his own choosing um, and died there from pneumonia just two years later and his life was a, a series of ups and downs. But fortunately, these um, fantasy pieces date from a period when Schumann was in a good frame of mind and was in, was happy. One of the things that I found interesting when I was researching these pieces was um, Schumann's obsession with pseudonyms and um, names and disguises. Um, he was fascinated by um, people who used pseudonyms, the characters that they decided to, Embodied by taking on a different name and this fascination um, is something that started in his youth and carried on through his entire life in fact um, the idea of musical letters corresponding to a person's initials is something that Schumann took very seriously this began with him enshrining his beloved Clara Schumann or Clara Wieck as she was originally um, as she became his ABC, so Clara was the C, and he had two different nicknames that he coined to represent the two different sides of Clara's personality, her sweet side and her perhaps more fearsome side. And these two pseudonyms, if you will, or nicknames were Ambrosia and Beda. Ambrosia is a Greek word. Which uh, means immortal, Uh, it's the food of the gods. And Beda, by contrast, is the warrior maid. So you can see that uh, Schumann was uh, encapsulating the the character of his beloved Clara in these two different personalities, Ambrosia and Beda. So she literally was his ABC. Um, To continue this, he often referred to himself as David a biblical reference to David and the Philistines the individual against the masses the philistines the uneducated the unromantic the uncultured so he cast himself as david that was one of his nicknames for himself and then he actually took this a stage further and this was something that you know he he pondered upon and researched and spent a lot of time thinking about so he was looking for a way of of describing his own dual nature, his own polar nature, his introverted and extrovert sides. And he started his search looking around the feast day for his beloved Clara. Claire, Saint Claire, has a feast day on August the 12th. And in his searches, he happened upon two um, interesting patron saints whose feast days were also in the same week in August, um, Eusebius and Florus. So these two saints became um, the the yin and yang, if you like, of Schumann's own identity. And he described himself as um, either Eusebius or Floristan. To show you how far he would take this this sort of um, symbolism and uh, hidden secret letters um, with Clara's feast day being August the 12th, and for Eusebius's as being August the 14th, when finally Clara Wieck became Clara Schumann in 1837, they got married on the day right in between August the 13th. So it was the day that united Clara and Eusebius. And interesting when you start to look at these fantasy Stücke, you will see um, the importance of these letters, particular E and F. Um, I think. Uh, when you look, for example, at the key that Schumann chose for the fancy Stucker, they start in a minor and they then you, we have the tonic major many times in the first movement and we move immediately to a major um, in the coda. The second movement begins in a major. and the last movement uh, is in a major. So this idea of ambrosia, if you like, as being this embodiment of immortal Clara. Um, immortalized in his Fantasy Stücke, and as you look into the first movement, the first melodic notes you hear in the piano in the very first bar on B two and B three, we have E and F as being our melodic notes. So that gives you a little bit of, of background on the sort of word games that Schumann liked to play, both in his pieces and also in his letters and writings. He originally entitled them um, when, when he finished writing them very very quickly as "Swarztuker," so evening pieces, and that's quite an interesting and telling first title that he came up with. Um, there's definitely a sense of of that the the in approaching darkness of evening, but he didn't settle on "Swarztuker" and decided instead for "Fantasy Sztuker," and this idea um, was something. The idea of fantasy pieces at all was. Um, entirely Schumann's own. It was the first time that this had been coined, this expression. He went on to write a further three works that had Fantasy Fantasiestücke as their title. This was the first one. So this idea of what is the fantasy, the characters in, in all these three pieces are constantly shifting. And I think this is why he, he elected to, for the, the title Fantasiestücke, because the moods are constantly shifting again this idea of Eusebius and Floristan these two opposing nature's one happy one sad one extrovert one introvert and so even though the pieces last only eight or nine minutes in total they encapsulate lots of different shifts of mood So looking at the first movement, which is marked Zart und mit Ausdruck, tenderly and with expression, I can remember playing this piece for uh, my teacher at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama for the very first time. I think I was about 15. And she said to me something that has stayed with me ever since, which is the trick to playing this first movement is not necessarily the notes themselves, because when you look at this first movement, it looks quite benign. It looks quite straightforward yes there are a few tricky leaps here and there but basically it it looks on the page as if it's it's relatively straightforward and she said it's not the notes themselves it's the spaces in between and this was a a new concept to me age 15 um, which was just thinking about how we get from note to note how smoothly we can make our legato playing of all time this first movement and I spent a long time working on it with her, and in in many years subsequently. So some of the things that I think is important to, to notice is the use of the semitone. Now, this isn't anything groundbreaking, and you'll find many other pieces that have a similar use of expressive semitones. But when you start looking at this particular piece and this idea of how we get from note to note, you fully appreciate how sinewy The melodic line is and how all of the expressive points that you have along this smooth legato line are semitones so right from the beginning we were just talking a moment ago about Eusebius and Florestan we have that E and F right at the beginning and then we have this in the clarinet part and um, clarinet in a of course we have this e flat d and then you you reach up to an a flat to a g and then come down the scale with e flat d and then a c b natural so right from the beginning in this first phrase if you pay attention to the dissonances that are created uh, the suspensions that you have with these wonderful semitones again similar to Brahms which i've talked about in other episodes It was melodies that pass between the right hand of the piano and the the clarinet. There's lots of imitation. Um, And we have this halting figure that happens. Which propels us towards this first tricky interval, this, this octave E flat. You need to play the E-flat with your fourth wing of your right hand, the high E-flat, which will come from the lower E-flat, rather than try to play a fourth fingering or using your middle finger. I can explain this a bit more in my YouTube, which will accompany this episode. So this is propelling us towards a a more gentle C-major section, which comes after this first climax. There is this wonderful F-major section that that follows, um, which is the B-section. All three of these fancy pieces are actually couched in an ABA sort of song format given that they're quite short pieces there's not enough time to develop the material they're just given as an initial idea a theme A and then a contrasting theme and then a return to the A so the B section in this piece is this beautiful F major section which has these rising arpeggiated figures in the piano and in contremotion to that these falling starts with like a dominant seventh feel and then we have um, when we change directions we switch directions we have this exquisite um, clash um, that happens which is the subject of great debate so after the uh, initial descending arpeggios that the clarinet has and there is this sort of switch of direction where um, the clarinet is playing um, the notes of a diminished seventh at the same time as which there is a figure in the piano, which means that there's an E flat and an E natural clashing against one one another. There's an E natural in the the, uh, piano part as well, just a moment before the E flat in the right hand of the piano. So this has caused much debate and there's lots of um, articles on the internet um, just about this particular note. Was it intended? And there's lots of um, evidence to suggest that possibly some typesetters uh, try to change it to an E-natural to make it fit more with this diminished seventh. Um, but then in subsequent plates and autographs that Schumann will have uh, had a look at, it was very firmly um, marked as an E-flat. If, if you look back to the Eusebius and Floresta idea, perhaps this, this marked E-flat was Schumann's way of really um, stamping his Eusebius character on this movement. So we have these these beautiful flowing lines and then the A section comes back again and we're in A minor Um, and before we finish this first movement we have this little coda which is this beautiful sort of lullaby rocking feel between these undulating parts and the piano part and then finally the clarinet echoes and ends um, with an A major arpeggio. One other thing just to take note in these pieces which is going back a little bit to talk about the dynamics just for a moment or the markings that you have in terms of expression a lot of these romantic composers have their own particular style or particular way of writing and schumann developed this way of showing how he wanted things to be expressed by using a very small little set of hairpins a little tiny kind of mini crescendo up and then decrescendo it looks a bit like two accents back to back and we have this right at the beginning of the piece, uh, in the clarinet part, um, on the second note on the second bar on the A flat. There are these little kind of—it's just a little emotional um, push. Um, so there, there's kind of these this hairpin up and hairpin down kind of shows that he wants to kind of you, you to emote on that note. So piano this intimate dynamic and he uses this mark um many times in this piece so it's his own particular marking for how to express certain notes it's also worth bearing in mind as well the there are lots of forte pianos in this piece particularly in the piano part when we have forte piano yes it's crudest form means forte and then piano but it's a way of emphasizing a note and it's relative to the dynamic that phrase is um, is marked in. So if you've got a forte piano within piano, it's not a real forte on top of that piano. So we don't want it to stick out too much. So for example, in the very first bar, in that E and F that the piano plays, there's a forte piano on the F. And at this time it was, it was a, a slower decay, so kind of a, a expressive accent, very much in the same way as the Brahms later, he he created his own expressive vocabulary. And obviously, he was very influenced by Schumann. So all the way through this first movement, we have forte pianos, which they're not too hard-edged, they need to be soft and always expressive and relevant to the dynamic that um, they are expressed within so at the end of the first movement we have this mark which is very important not to to miss attacker and that takes us straight through into the second movement so the second movement is in a major and is marked lebhaft leicht which is lively and light and immediately the piano has these sort of jostling eddying uh triplets with these expressive hairpins on the first and third beats in the first bar The clarinet then answers with this lovely arching melody that has large expressive intervals, first of all, an interval of a seventh G to an F, and then a B to a top C the interval of a ninth. second movement. We also introduce in this movement um, Sforzando pianos, having just uh, talked to you about um, forte pianos and that they're an expressive accent. Sforzando piano is much more of a little shot of electricity, a bit of excitement. This is a a more agile movement than the first movement. And so Sforzando piano is more in keeping with this sort of sense of the energy that is required on, on the tops of some of these phrases. Each of the clarinet phrases has this little echo, which is marked pianissimo. So there's always this afterglow, if you like, uh, an imprint left behind by the first phrase. And this is a a feature all the time underneath, whilst the clarinet is playing these luxuriant melodies, the piano is very nimbly uh, describing triplets underneath. So there's always a sense of forward momentum. Often phrases have... So this sort of eddying quality, where the right hand of the piano is playing buga so often at the ends when we have these these afterglow moments in the clarinet, you have this sort of this sense of um, there being kind of activity underneath it. Also, another feature of this, the first part of this, the A section of this second movement, are very quick crescendos. If if the first movement has all been languor and and we have the sinewy lines in the first movement. In the second movement, we have there's much more of a sense of, of propulsion, of forward motion. And the characters, when we have lively and light at the beginning, I think the, the character, there is definitely a sort of a feeling of confidence and vigour and alertness to the first part of this second movement. This alertness then transforms into Cheekiness, scherzando almost. It's not marked scherzando, but the, the middle B section, which is in F major, has these wonderfully playful triplets that are started in the clarinet and into the piano and back again. And it's this the edding feel that we had in the first section is now turned into a sort of a game of uh, cat and mouse or um, hide and seek. Again, the clarinet has these wonderful arching, expressive phrases with the the mini crescendo diminuendos and these little aciacaturas that Schumann throws in perhaps not really realizing that they're actually very difficult to play on the clarinet they're very awkward we've got four flats in the clarinet part uh, so we're in a flat major very sticky part of the instrument and that's often um, a real challenge to get those to speak really clearly but again we have these sort of surging crescendos in both the clarinet and the, and the piano writing characterises this, this second movement. Lots of the fun and uh, kiss chase, if you like, between Clara and Eusebius. Uh, and to close out this movement, Schumann has yet another um, coda after the A section, which again has this similar to the first movement, has a almost a feeling of, you know, and so now you've had all of your fun and now it's time to go to sleep. I always think it's this, this, this um, governess ushering the children from all of their hijinks and get ready for bed. And we have this nach, und nach ruhiger, gradually calming down. And we, again, we have these, these very light spread chords that um, we also had at the end of the first movement. So this cheeky B section is answered by a more heroic and romantic second section Don't be fooled by these very light touch final chords of the second movement because no sooner have you turned your page over um, than we have a rush on mit and this almost falling forwards, tripping over yourself, tripping over the, as you fall downstairs, first bar of, the, of this last movement. <laughs> Rash und mit Feuer means uh, fast and with fire. Um, in this first bar, this is incredible tumult of triplets in the piano part and duplets in the clarinet part, neither of whom start on the first beat of the bar, so this is a kind of cascade of notes that uh, lands on the second bar um, with this uh, appoggiatura that we have that is, is this kind of halting quality um, that marks the beginning of the third movement. No sooner have we had cascading ta-da feature, towards I always think it's like you're kind of like just you know, running onto the stage into the spotlight and going ta-da! Then we have this wonderfully positive, heroic melody in the clarinet that's imitated in the piano. It's one of my favourite things to play. This movement is all about the quest for resolution. It never really fully lands on a cadence for any length of time before it, it jets off again with this vigor and this, this energy that we, we started to introduce in the second movement. So we've definitely been moving from the sort of this languorous melancholia of the first movement to an ebullient, effervescent, energized, young, virile quality in this last movement. And it's really a joy to play. So there's inevitably either you've got these running triplets in the, in the piano part or you've got quavers separated between the hands which creates sort of a, um, a scurrying semi-quaver feeling. And in between these figures, right in, in the first paragraph of, of this last movement, we have these forte chords in the piano which are marked with very decisive accents and reiterated both notes are reiterated with forte and forte again right next to each other it's quite hard to see on the the score that i'm using because one quaver is at the end of a a, a system and the next system starts with the next one so you don't quite see them because they're always separated by a line break Um, in the planet quite interestingly Schumann opted, rather than to make these like these sort of hammer blows, which they kind of feel like in the piano, they're like a a real sense of uh, finality and, you know, as if you're almost being told off for being too extrovert, the clarinet part is slurred over. Now, I think when you're doing this with a pianist, actually, the thing to do is to try and, in some way, match this sense of forte forte. This is a, a, a marking that you'd see quite a lot in romantic period music, and again, it it draws us back to this idea about trying to reinterpret the under our understanding of what dynamics actually mean it's it's to do with character much more than um an empirical loudness or softness so this this first sort of tumbling figure that you have at the beginning and then is answered with this wonderful extrovert arching confident phrases in the clarinet it's full of energy and vitality and just a little faint bit of cheekiness and this really does feel like schumann is on top of the world and really feeling like he's um he can, he's swashbuckling he's full of um fun of energy and I, I absolutely love it but as i say these are uh, these sort of arrival points these rushing points that we arrive at you no know, sooner have you arrive at the cadence then you're you're tumbling forward again into the next section and this goes for the b section as well so we've had this wonderfully upbeat Uh, a major section but no sooner do we get that um, on the repeat we have this switch to a minor again (laughs) this last G we play in the clarinet is um, quite a startling little moment in the first time bar in this minore section because we've got this uh, tied two tied crotchets um, bisecting a bar line, and underneath us is a very loud interjection. It's a reiteration of this this two forte chords that we have earlier on in this movement with the chan chan, but this time it's jagada jagada. It needs mu- a great deal of space it's almost like um a shudder i always think so we have this ta da 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 and usually the pianists they need a lot of time just to make sense of these two um very affirmative downbeat feeling chords that are both marked forte and the right hand has accents while we're just playing this rather oblique tied g across the bar line so when we're looking at the clarinet part we don't always appreciate what is going on underneath us, and that's certainly one of these places where we have this uh, very innocuous looking marking in the clarinet part, but underneath us is something really quite sort of tumultuous feeling, this sort of a little bit feel of a shudder. So it's, um, something else to, um, to notice that's in a similar vein to this kind of shuddering feel is a, an incredible marking that Schumann puts in the next section when we have this this wonderful continuation of the minore, the second part of the minore section. While we're playing that concert G-sharp, this long B, underneath us is this fantastic um, grace you note, know, these acciacchuras, divided in the two hands of the piano, and they've got sforzandos on each of them, and they're separated by um, a, a quaver triplet. So they're, they're just, it's again this idea of handing them from one hand to the other, and it's got this incredible emotional quality. It's really this idea of, sort of like someone walking over your grave, is the only way I can describe it. There's something slightly um, dark and perhaps even malevolent underneath this, this seemingly beautiful, expressive tune. Immediately after that, again, we have the same music as we, uh, we opened with See, we've got these these moments of real introspection and darkness and myst- mystery and underneath all the time is this this sort of churning triplet um a in the piano and really it's, it's definitely we re- re- return to this this darker feeling and the minore feeling from the first movement and as has been the energizing triplets in the piano part these now turn into semiquavers so as you can imagine this gives us the form for the previous two movements. Schumann finishes the third movement with a fantastic coda. This starts quite. We have a restatement of the A section again after this this very dark and mysterious B section. More more of a sense of quickening. More more um, more energy being pumped into the piece from below, from the piano part. All the while the clarinet is soaring over the top of this, this wonderful melody. All in all, I think it's safe to say that um, you can really feel Schumann's glowing mood in this um, set of three pieces. Yes, there are little moments of of melancholy and darkness, but that only serves to put into relief these fantastic. And then we have two, the first of two markings to quicken the pace even more. We have Schneller. Um, and again, we have these sort of, uh, these double hammer blow uh, semi quavers divided between the hands in the piano. So we have it twice. Um, and then we have these rippling um, semi quavers again in this quicker speed um, with a, pian- a return to piano. And then we have the second of the two Schneller markings, which means faster. And this is really, um, the final kind of springboard off into um, the ether um, as the piece just gets more and more excited and we have these running dominant sevenths that pass between the, the piano and the clarinet and this totally heroic ending um, to what has been a really dynamic and exciting last movement, energizing virile energy and just joie de vivre. It's a fantastic piece to play. It's very tiring, however, as we've got these three movements are all marked attacker, so there's no time to kind of catch your breath. So it really is a virtuoso display of emotion, deep feelings, and one of the, the finest pieces of kind of writing I think there is. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I hope that's been uh, an interesting exploration of Schumann's Fantasiestücke please do check out my website, which is www.stuart-king.com, and there will be a YouTube, as always, accompanying. Thanks for listening, and um, I look forward to exploring another piece with you in the very near future.